It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. The insanity never ends. The insanity never ends. Um, this is from uh, FT.com. Foreign policy uh, site. Allies lobby Biden to prevent shift to no first use of nuclear arms. U.S. allies are lobbying Biden not to change American policy on the use of nuclear weapons amid concern the president is considering a no first use declaration that could undermine long established deterrent strategies aimed at Russia and China. Now, why would that even enter your cranium as small as his cranium is? Why to even consider telling the communist Chinese, the fascistic Russians, the communist North Korean inbred, the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, and the rest of our enemies all over the world, you strike us first, only then will we shoot back. I mean, what is that? That's no deterrence at all. In fact, it's a provocation. The lobbying by treaty allies, including Britain, France, and Germany in Europe, and Japan and Australia in the Indo-Pacific, comes as the Biden administration is in the middle of a nuclear posture review, a regular interagency process that sets U.S. policy on nuclear weapons. Although some allies believe Biden will refrain from setting a no-first-use policy in the review, most remain concerned he's considering a policy known as, quote, sole purpose, unquote which would make clear the United States would use nuclear weapons only in narrowly prescribed sets of circumstances, such as to deter a direct attack on the U.S. or retaliate after a strike. This would be a huge gift to China and Russia, one European official said. American policy towards the use of nuclear weapons has, since the Cold War, remained intentionally vague, suggesting the U.S. could use them preemptively in allowing allies in both Europe and Asia a clear sense of protection under the American nuclear umbrella. The problem with sole purpose and no first use is that the Allies believe it and the adversaries don't, said Michael Green. Some Allies remain worried that U.S. officials have not conveyed the extent of their opposition directly to the President. Fears exasperated by the administration's failure to heed Allied concerns over the withdrawal from Afghanistan and a nuclear submarine agreement with Australia. More than a dozen European and Asian officials and critics on Capitol Hill told the Financial Times that Allied fears have risen as the posture review nears its conclusion which is expected by the end of the year. And a sign of rising Allied concern, a commitment to a credible and united nuclear alliance was included in a joint statement following Friday's Biden-Macron meeting, as was a promise of close consultations on nuclear issues. This is unbelievable. Sole purpose nuclear policy is just no first use by another name. And to even consider adopting either is a complete betrayal of our allies. I would argue it's a complete betrayal of us. Senator James Risch, the top Republican in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, told the Financial Times. 
Unbelievable. Richard Fontaine, chief executive of the Center for a New American Security in Washington, argued the threats from Russia, China, North Korea have only increased since the Obama administration, meaning it was not the time for a U.S. no-first-use pledge. Our nuclear capacity is deteriorating compared to the communist Chinese and the Russians. The Russians have modernized the bulk of their nuclear missiles and weapons. The communist Chinese don't really need to modernize theirs because they're modern. They're building them at a rapid pace. Ours are aging in the silos. We haven't modernized our nuclear weapon arsenal. This is unbelievable to me. What's happening in this country, whether it's immigration, whether it's the war on our, on our fossil fuels, whether it's the war on the economic system, whether it's the brainwashing of our children, right down the line, this is unilateral surrender to communist China. And ladies and gentlemen, I used to say the Chinese are going to surpass us as a superpower in 50 years. I am wrong. If we don't put the brakes to this as soon as possible, it's going to be 10 years. 10 years. And by the time Biden and his Democrats are done, they will hollow out our manufacturing and industrial center in this country. They will cover the country in red tape, making it virtually impossible for technological advances. Their tax plan is going to kill research and development. They're spending enormous amounts of money, borrowing it, taking it from you on redistribution of wealth, creating lazier and lazier citizens. Their bureaucrats, their educational bureaucrats and teacher union thugs don't believe in merit. They're shutting down these schools that, that help propel the brightest among us into incredible positions so they can help our society. No, 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 no. What a disaster. What a disaster. This is why so many people are hopeful about this Virginia race. If we lose it, are going to be so down that we need to start clawing our way back one election at a time. We need to send a message. Whether you're a moderate, a conservative Democrat, or an independent, or a Republican, this is what I say in the beginning of my book. American Marxism, and I mean every word of it. Every word of it. We've got to put aside some things in order to save our country, if you love the country. That's what we have to do. Because we're up against it right now. As I point out, American Marxism has made great progress toward instituting its goals over the past several years. If it is to be defeated, as it must, albeit a daunting and complex mission, its existence must first be acknowledged and labeled for what it is. The urgency of the moment must be realized, and the emergence of a unified, patriotic front, a previously docile, divergent, and or disputatious societal, cultural, and political factions and forces, which have in common their belief that America is worth defending, must immediately galvanize around and rally to the cause. We must rise to the challenge, as did our founding fathers, when they confronted the most powerful force on earth, the British Empire, and defeated it. Admittedly, in numerous ways, today's threat is more Byzantine, as it now inhabits most of our institutions and menaces from within, making engagement difficult and complicated. Nonetheless, I fervently believe America, as we know it, will be forever lost if we do not prevail. If we do not prevail, and prevail now. And prevail now. 
This is no joke. We have a guy in the Oval Office. It's really the people around him are so radical. They're such extremists. Unilaterally disarm in the face of what communist China is doing. Their threats to Taiwan. Their increasing belligerence and bullying of us and our military. This is the moment that will determine whether the United States of America remains the most powerful superpower on the face of the earth or shrinks like Great Britain did. A hundred years ago or so, Great Britain ruled the waves. It was the biggest superpower on earth. Now look at it. It's not even an also-ran. And I don't put down Britain. I like Britain very, very much. The people very, very much. That's not my point. If Athens can fall... If the Roman Empire can fall, and it lasted over a thousand years, we can fall too. And our founding fathers were well aware of this. They were well aware of the possibility that this country would have a limited life. And they tried to set it up so the same kind of poisons and cancers that destroyed previous republics would not destroy this one. They were well familiar with ancient history. They read Plato and Socrates and and Aristotle. They read Cicero and Brutus. They knew what took place. They read the old Hebrews. They knew about Western Enlightenment. And they took it all together. And poured it into this country. This country that's destroying itself. The Democrat Party is evil. It's diabolical. Its leaders are evil and diabolical. Its media uh, surrogates and mouthpieces are evil and diabolical. That's the truth. That's a fact. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. And a friend of mine sent me a text today and asked this question, America. If Kaepernick believes the NFL is like slavery, then why does he keep trying out for teams? And why does he keep complaining that no team will take him? If it's like slavery, why would you volunteer to be a slave? Right, Mr. Producer? Ah, the left is so stupid. Time and again, 
time and again, just like the media, do you realize CNN has really no ratings? CNN has no reason to exist. And one of the reasons, of course, is because they call people racists with whom they disagree. They call white people racists. They bring on one nut job after another, one bigot after another, to call their audience racist. I guess they haven't figured it out yet. MSLSD collapsing. Same thing. And you know, when you consider the fact that they both cover the same territory, they both bring on the same kind of nut job Marxists, they both have the same kind of hosts, really, really stupid, but lockstep with the Marxists and the Democrat Party, one of them has to go, right? But the reason they won't go is this. Because AT&T owns CNN, and they'll pour as much money as they want to into it. And Comcast owns MSNBC, and they'll pour as much money as they want into it as well. These are the corporatists. And that needs to be one of our focuses right now. Just as the school boards and the schools are, the corporations need to be as well. They're not allied with us. They don't believe in capitalism. They believe in preference. They want to destroy competition. Not all, but the big guys, most of them. And so as shareholders, and most of you are shareholders, you may not even know it, but it takes nothing to be a shareholder, a few bucks. You have a right to go to their board meetings and object. You have a right to go to their board meetings and make some noise. No violence, of course. We leave that to the left. But you get my point. This movement, and it is a movement, must continue even more aggressively than before. Do you realize how cable TV doesn't even realize this movement exists? Do you realize how the Washington Compost and the New York Slimes don't even realize this movement exists? And I could go down the list. Why? Because none of them are part of it. None of them are part of it. They analyze, they look back, they try and figure out what's going on, they have their own ideas, their own narratives, they project and so forth and so on. They have no idea what you're doing, who you are, and how you're doing it. But I do. We all do. Now, what did the Democrats learn from the elections in Virginia, New Jersey, Texas, Colorado, Kansas, New York, all over the country, Pennsylvania? What did they learn? Well, it's like any group of insane Marxists. Put your foot down further on the gas pedal. It's not that their agenda is a problem. It's that they haven't passed it yet. It's that they haven't passed it yet. And this from Politico, really one of the mouthpieces for the Democrat Party and the American Marxist movement, along with Media Matters and Mediaite, of course. Pelosi aims to push domestic agenda double whammy despite centrist holdouts. I go, wow. Has she caught Bidenitis? I think she has. Speaker Eva Stretch Nancy Pelosi wants to vote on Biden's sweeping domestic spending plan as soon as Thursday evening. By my calculation, America, it's now Thursday evening. First, she has to convince moderate holdouts who want more time to digest the $1.75 trillion bill. Now, this is why they wanted to pass it on October 3rd, Halloween. Because they knew they were going to get their asses kicked. And now it's going to be a little harder because the phony moderates will be fully exposed 
They should be exposed anyway, but will be fully exposed if they embrace any part of this. Like this guy Gottheimer, <coughs> excuse me, from Bergen County, New Jersey. I don't mean to be picking on him. Actually, I do. Pelosi and her leadership team spent a chaotic day today hustling to narrow the number of holdouts on the sweeping bill, which includes centrists who've raised procedural concerns, as well as a trio of Democrats who threatened to oppose the bill without immigration reform. That whip effort intensified throughout the day with Democrats on the floor twisting arms and members of Biden's cabinet making calls as top Democrats scrambled to get their members on board with the massive bill. Things are starting to move in the right direction. Conversations have all been positive, said House Democratic Caucus Chair Hakeem Jeffries of New York. Everybody understands this has to happen. I do expect a vote tonight, said House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn. Remember him? Yeah, federal law enforcement made up of stormtroopers, that Jim Clyburn. A key part of Pelosi's push today has been directed at the five centrist Democrats who publicly declared they'd be unwilling to back the full bill until Congress's nonpartisan scorekeepers, that's the Congressional Budget Office, can prove that the legislation will be fully paid for. Now, more on that in a minute, because the University of Pennsylvania did a review, and they said, no, this is actually going to cost Americans trillions. Now, who are you going to believe? Real people or the thugs and hacks and reprobates uh, that make up the Democrat Party in Washington? Privately, even more centrists have aired the same grievance. Between 12 and 15 moderate Democrats, many from swing districts, those swinging districts, have privately told leadership they won't be ready to vote Thursday unless they have more clarity about exactly what's in the bill, what's in the bill. After a slew of changes were unveiled a day earlier, according to multiple people familiar with the discussions, I heard the uh, president's deputy press idiot today say, the president ran on this, the people want it. And you have members of the Democrat Party in the House saying, we don't even know what's in the bill. No, but the people want it. After she was hearing concerns from moderates, Pelosi told reporters as she left the floor, Uh, She said, we're not hearing concerns. We're doing our work. We'll let you know. She's such a liar. She's such a liar. Senior Democrats had hoped to make progress with those moderates thanks to the Joint Committee on Taxation, which released a slew of budgetary information earlier today. The committee's incomplete estimate found at least $1.48 trillion of spending in the bill would be covered by the legislation's funding sources. No, it won't. No, it won't in the least. It's essential the legislation's fully paid for, for and reduces the debt. So they're going to spend almost $2 trillion. They're going to put in place new entitlements, freebies. And that, you see, is going to reduce the debt. How stupid do they think you are? Now, their base is stupid. Their base is stupid. But how stupid do they think the rest of America is? Not that stupid. Several centrists who huddled to discuss the uh, budgetary score later in the day privately said they still needed more information before a floor vote on the social policy measure. It's not just the budgetary score. Many centrists have also refused to vote for a bill that won't pass the Senate with new provisions on immigration and paid leave provisions that face a grim future across the Capitol. It's hard to make a decision when you haven't seen the full text and there hasn't been a Congressional Budget Office score, but I'm hopeful, said Representative Kathleen Rice, Democrat, New York. Regardless, Pelosi and her leadership 
have been forceful in their efforts to bring the massive spending plan to the floor Thursday evening with a Friday vote on the Senate-passed infrastructure bill, she told members in a closed-door meeting today. Those remarks came during a two-hour meeting of Democrats, where the committee chairs painstakingly outlined the provisions of the massive domestic policy bill as they readied members to vote for one of the largest bills in history. Okay, one of the largest bills in history. We just had an election where parents insisted to have a role in their local schools. This is one of the largest bills in history. It's actually the largest bill in American history. And you and I don't get to participate. It's utterly oblique. You have members who don't know what's in the bill. How are you and I to know what's in the bill? Don't we get to participate? Isn't this a representative republic? This has been my point all along. You and I don't get to know what's in it, despite the fact it's the largest bill in American history. And it's not just a spending bill. It's a transitional bill. How do we know that? Because the dummy in the Oval Office had said so. We're going to transition our economy. (laughs) Anyway, as they prepared for a last-ditch push today, senior Democrats said they made key progress in several areas of contention, which includes immigration. See, it's all process for you and me. We don't get to know the substance. It's all process. Oh, look what's going on. There's immigration progress. Well, what would that be? The trio of Democrats who had refused to back the bill without immigration reforms are now expected to back Biden's spending bill, though they say they remain unsatisfied. Well, what are they? House Administration Chair Zoe Lofgren, uh, she's from San Jose, confirmed to Democrats in the closed-door meeting that a pathway to citizenship, a long-sought goal for Democrats, would not be in their legislation. You know, the parliamentarian in the Senate already said that's a no-go, but they don't care. They could care less. Democrats are still hopeful they've made a breakthrough on immigration, but there's still an enormous hurdle. And what's the breakthrough? We have no idea. We have no idea. Months of infighting, it goes on and on and on. If the American people, listen to me, if the American people were behind this bill, if we knew exactly what's in the bill, there wouldn't be this battle going on. They would pass it. They keep saying the American people want this. The American people want this. The American people want this. Well, if the American people want it, why can't they pass it? Because the American people don't want it, and they don't even know what's in it. And that's a good reason not to want it. Parents should have a role in their schools, and we should have a role in our government. We should have a role in the biggest bill in American history. Still not enough, of course, for the Marxists. But who cares? This Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin, two great guests, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, should be very interesting, and former governor, former senator of Virginia, that's right, Allen. George Allen, good man. I hope you'll watch it. And of course, my monologue, which all the hosts sit there and they listen carefully like I'm E.F. Hutton as they take notes. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Levin. 
You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. The book is The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. It's on Amazon.com. It's in every major bookstore starting tomorrow morning. And it's by our friend Brian Kilmeade, who writes these books and does a superb job in writing them and so forth. Uh, I want to go on with this. Uh, 1860 was quite an interesting election, wasn't it, Brian Kilmeade? Yeah, I mean, you talk about Donald Trump, oh, he didn't win the popular vote. How about you don't lose, win anybody in the South? He didn't get any Southern votes, Abraham Lincoln. And if Stephen Douglas doesn't have his vote split by other Democrats, he might have won, uh, too. But... Uh, Lincoln really made his mark in the Lincoln-Douglas debates. They knew where he stood. They knew how smart he was. They published all his speeches. He has famous Cooper Union speech, gets the nomination, gets the presidency. Can you imagine, whenever you think the country was divided when President Trump was there or that George Bush uh, and Florida, forget it. Can you imagine seven states just saying, if you're the president, I quit? Mm -hmm. I quit the country. And then Lincoln had to decide, with no big military background, I got to go get this army together. I got to put them together quickly, and I got to win. And I got to win in like 90 days, and we'll fix this thing. Uh, the problem is it won four years, and they almost lost the thing, even though they outnumbered the South three to one, mainly because uh, the South had the generals, the North had the hardware, they had to ramp up, and they finally picked the right guy. And I just think that uh, overall, when I saw Condoleezza Rice hop on The View, and I wrote this on FoxNews.com, I said, I don't have to worry about this debate being part of the news. We're still debating uh, about our past and what role it should play in our future. And when you see Douglas, born a slave, never knew his parents, just to build in the last question you had, never knew his parents. He was determined to make something of himself, learn to read and write. He manipulated his way to doing it from running errands on down. And next thing you know, he's an abolitionist leading a northern movement that really helped plow the way for the Republican Party to emerge and for Lincoln to be there. Lincoln wins this election just barely, walks into the White House, even though threats on his life, he gets there with an enemy 15, 20 miles away and basically said, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. You, t- you, know, you talk about ominous. You know, I talk about the War of 1812 when we look at what happened, and obviously the Revolutionary War, no one thought we'd win. I would argue this obviously had our country uh, on its heels in a way that almost no other nation would have survived, except ours, because we had the right people at the right time. And on your point, just to jump ahead in history a little bit, when the uh, Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor, and Churchill said, well, now... Now the Americans are finally in the war. As you know, he was begging FDR to get into the war, but we were isolationist. Uh, Some said to Churchill, well, the Americans won't fight. And you know, obviously, Churchill, his mother was an American. Yep. And he said, well, maybe you should read the Civil War. The Americans will fight, and they know how to fight. Because of that Civil War, there was one horrific battle after another, wasn't it? 600,000 plus dead. The courage that these men had to show every single day, many of which learned to be in the military that the, the week before. And then they'd have to go and march and run into an open field where there would be a slaughter. And you're talking about tens of thousands dead. You win the Battle of Van Dieten, but at what cost? You know, you, you have the, the Battle of Bull Run. They basically lost twice. At what cost? The carnage was unbelievable. The courage was incredible. Uh, in the meantime, they have the howitzers guns are introduced at that time, too. 
So, and you see these generals, and you have a president in the United States going, this general's ineffective, you're fired. This general's ineffective, you're fired. This general won't move, you're fired. Give me Grant. And he finally gets Grant, and he gets Sherman. He gets the right guys. That, to me, is leadership. And anyone who thinks that Americans won't fight, you're absolutely right. Uh, that, those were the days. I mean, the next, the next major battle would really be uh, World War I. And, the, I, I mean, no one doubts uh, the courage of Americans. They just don't want to get involved. From day one when Washington does his inaugural, says, listen, let them fight. That's not our problem. We're all the way over here. Now there is no all the way over here. That's why, Mark, I, am, I'm, I know you fight for the country every day, but I am ultimately convinced that we're going to get the right person at the right time to lead us through this difficult but not, uh, not impossible uh, time right now. I don't necessarily disagree or agree with you, and I'll tell you why on this particular issue. Because such a significant percentage of the people in our country are not even familiar with its history. I know. And they're being brainwashed with critical race theory and this other stuff, and people are coming into this country, and they're not being encouraged to assimilate. And that's kind of why I wrote my book, that 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 this movement we're up against is a unique movement. Uh and collection of movements, and it is imported from Europe, and it is disastrous. And I'm, you and I fight every day. We're, we're trying to make sure that does not happen. Uh, but uh, when, you look, when you look today at Biden and the Democrat Party, how they're trying to change the rules of the game so they can't lose. They're trying to turn the whole country into California or New York at this point. And this is the problem. This is the problem. So I think if, if we had somewhat of, of, of an acknowledged... You know, system, you don't attack the system, you fight within the box. I don't think I disagree with you, but more and more I get very, very concerned about it. But we well, do uh, need these powerful figures, don't we, in order to, uh, who believe do. in liberty. And just to build on what you just said, and, and there's nothing you said that was inaccurate, but I'll give you something that gives you, should give you solace. And that is those approval numbers. And that is what's happening in Virginia. And that is what's happening where, if you saw that uh, a poll that said uh, Republicans are now favor when it comes to the economy, when it comes to security, uh, when, it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to crime, by 20 to 30 percent over Democrats. The American people are looking at this ever since Afghanistan. I think the American people are looking at this in a, with a fresh look. And I think they're understanding, uh, and, and when they stand up to the schools, everything you wrote about, they're standing up saying they're outraged. But if they just, we waited for somebody to get, make, give a speech and get you outraged, that's one thing, if you attended that speech. But when it goes into your living room and kitchen, uh, uh, I don't even know if these people are Democrats or Republicans that are yelling at these school boards. They're speaking up. They're concerned Americans. And the, and, the, and the natural way, the pushback, I find so encouraging. And if uh, the fact that Youngkin's within a point and he surged the last 15 points on pure performance and issues makes me think this country is ready to self-correct. Uh, listen, I don't disagree. And this is something we've been pushing very, very hard here. But you can't deny the trajectory. You can look at a set of polls. You can look at an election here and there. You know, Ronald Reagan, uh, 40 years ago, he was elected. And I don't think Ronald Reagan would recognize his country today. So I, not, it's not that I, I don't think we should fight and push back, which is the point of the whole last chapter in my book. I don't disagree with that. And there have been movements in the past, whether it's the Reagan Revolution, the Tea Party movement, the Trump movement, this movement, which yeah. I believe is a movement now. 
The problem is the culture is being devoured. So you can't, I'll give you an example. You're not going to get a break in the media. You're not going to get a break in academia. You're not going to get a break uh, when it comes to uh, the bureaucracy, which is really owned and paid for by the Democrat Party. And when I served in the Reagan administration, they were undermining us every step of the way, just as they undermined Trump every step of the way. So to me, it's not so much that the heart and soul of the American people are lost. The change of the demographics is a big issue. And even more than that, the disconnect between the institutions and these polls you talk about and the American people. There is a huge disconnect. And so I don't, I don't mean to go off on a tangent with you here. No, no, so, I, I'm you know. with you every step of the way. All right, let's get back to this book because it's a fantastic book. Why did yeah. you decide to write on this subject? A couple of things. As you know, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, was next. Yeah. I tried to do something different besides the Alamo. Okay, I got to do the Alamo. You saw that. You don't know San Jacinto. And then you don't know who Sam Houston is. And you don't know that Sam Houston said, hey, Texas, if you leave and fight with the South, I quit. Mm-hmm. So uh, he quit as governor. And I thought, okay, you know, do I really want to dive into race? Do I want to dive into the Civil War? Do I want to touch Lincoln? Everybody writes about Lincoln. Everybody writes about the Civil War. You know, these documentaries after documentary. And I go, well, what I like to do is not skip over race. I want to talk about where we are and, and who this figure was. Why is it the book of the year four years ago was this David Blight book? Who is uh, Frederick Douglass? And I see this remarkable, determined guy that manipulated himself to learn to read and write and then got the same book as Lincoln as a child who had the same frustration, the Columbian orator, that had all these biographies and essays from Washington and Plato uh, and, these, uh, and Caesar. And he talked about all He's seeing all these people in history, and his mind begins to open. He reads the Bible, and he begins to hope. And then he says, you know what, I'm going to make this country better. I'm going to escape to freedom. I'm demanding this country improve, not looking for another country. I'm not going to tear up this Constitution. I'm going to make it live up to this Constitution. I go, wow, what if I tell these stories? I'm not doing a biography. What if I tell you these parallel lives and how they intersected for a short period of time to do something so extraordinary for a country that was teetering on the edge? What if I told that story and what could have happened? Had they lived, the guy who hurt our country more than anybody else in history is John Wilkes Booth. Because if you took, in my opinion, if you let Lincoln live through the 1860s, we wouldn't have needed the 1960s. He was going to flood the South with housing. He was going to flood them with flood them with teachers. He knew it was going to be a brutal transition, but he would have sawed through. Instead, we got this brutal racist and Andrew Johnson, who had no interest in having the South align, and therefore we struggled for the next 50 years. So I thought, what if I tell that brief window of time where our country was saved by a black man and a white man? And even though he grew up in these times, when he got a chance to meet Lincoln, and Lincoln had a chance to meet him, he ends up on the stage at the second inaugural. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he says when he sees him, he said, looked across, he sees Frederick Douglass in the White House, and he said, Frederick, what did you think of the speech? And Douglas says, don't worry about me. You've got a house full of people. He goes, there's nobody whose, whose opinion I care more about. What did you think of my speech? And he said it was a sacred effort because he talked about forgiveness and coming together. And if he is racist, why is that man in the White House? Why is that exchange put down by Frederick Douglass in his biographies? Why does everyone chronicle it? Because he wasn't. He was a person of his times who saw greatness in through skin color and saw greatness, and they would have been an ins- they would have been an unbeatable pair if they had more time. But when they were together, they they did incredible things from recruiting 
uh, to the Emancipation Proclamation on down to the influence that he had in writing it and getting it out. And, I, and the fact is, when, when they were dedicating a statue in Washington, they didn't ask Ulysses S. Grant to do it, even though he was president. They asked Douglas to do it. That's how close they were at the time to the peace of people of their time. And I would add here, one of the reasons this book is so important right now, because if you understand our history, if you understand in particular these two men, you'll understand how pernicious critical race theory is. You'll understand how it is so destructive. So rather than taking, and I'm quite serious, Brian Kilmeade's book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, and using that to teach, to teach, you know, harmony and love between races and how these two men, up against, the, up against everything, how they conducted themselves and how they did what they did, is truly amazing. And when I read these people like Kendi and Delgado and all the other race baiters and so forth, I think to myself, really, what have you done for African Americans? Because Abraham Zero. Lincoln did more than everybody and anybody who came after him. And I just say, look up Shelby Steele, John yes. McWhorter, uh, Ben Carson. They, they overcame. They know we weren't a perfect society, but they weren't going to be stopped. That has to be the attitude for everybody listening to us. I don't care if you have a horrible family situation, a terrible work situation, uh, you uh, have uh, people that are jealous, whatever it is, find a way to overcome it. That's the story of Americans. The more you read, the more you understand that the more you read them, you know that they had the same obstacles you had just in a different time. Overcome it. Appreciate where we are. Do two things. Read about our history and travel. When you travel and you realize how great our country is compared to what else we could be, you will fully understand how great we have it. All right, Brian Kilme, fantastic book. Levinites, I encourage you. Go to Amazon.com, or if you go to a retail store, but it's the president and the freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. And you'll learn a lot that is applicable today and what's going on in our classrooms. All right, buddy, take care of yourself. Thanks so much, uh, Mark Levin. You're the best. Talk to you. Uh, all right, you be well. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. When we want common sense and leadership, we look to, among others, but especially Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. This vaccine mandate that's been put out, it's unconstitutional, it's illegal. And DeSantis says that today as well. Cut 12, go. A year and a half ago, we started with 15 days to slow the spread, and, and now it's gone to get jabbed or lose your job. And today's OSHA rule, a uh, very long time coming, we were, we were waiting for it, uh, that was issued. If you look at it, uh, here it is. It's almost 500 pages. And so we're supposed to be a government of laws, not a government of men. Uh, this is 500 pages of a government of a bureaucracy, a government that is being run by executive edict, not in accordance with the typical constitutional processes. And uh, the state of Florida is going to respond, and we will combat uh, the OSHA rule. As soon as it's published, uh, the state of Florida will be joining with Georgia and Alabama, as well as private plaintiffs, uh, to file suit. Uh, this is a rule that is not 
consistent with the Constitution and is not legally authorized through congressional statutes. Uh, there is no federal police power. Uh, the federal government can't just unilaterally impose medical policy under the guise of workplace regulation. And that is exactly what they're trying to do here. They don't provide any in instances why uh, the workplace is somehow different than anything else that's been done uh, with any of this. Uh, this is attempt to shoehorn policy uh, through the bureaucracy in a way that will um, uh, be difficult for some of these uh, individuals and private uh, parties uh, to resist. Yeah, because of the the $14,000 per employee fine and up to about $150,000 for repeat offenders. Unbelievable. I can't believe that this would be upheld by the Supreme Court. This I can't believe. More DeSantis. Cut 13. Go. But ultimately, people should be able to make these decisions. I don't think people want this decision yanked away from them. I don't think they want to allow a precedent where the federal government could come in and just force you uh, to do what it wants you to do. And make no mistake about it, those individuals who have uh, been gone through a normal vaccination series for COVID, uh, you will be determined to be unvaccinated very soon. They will do that. They are going to tell you you're unvaccinated and you have to get a booster. Otherwise, you could potentially uh, face loss of employment or other types of penalties. So that is going to happen. They're not putting that in the rule, but they're already asking for feedback on how to do this going forward. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. It's the slippery slope and it really does exist. And the government will get used to mandates. And it'll be mandating more and more and more. And it's going to spread out horizontally and vertically. And now, five-year-olds to 11-year-olds, they're going to mandate vaccines. Let me tell you something, folks. They tell us to follow the science. The science does not support this in any respect. Period. Period. There certainly has not been enough testing to determine whether five to... 11-year-olds should be vaccinated. That's number one. That's number one. Number two, the death rate among 5 to 11-year-olds is so minuscule. Look, every death matters. But when you're looking at a nation and a population talking about vaccines, it's so minuscule as to be absurd. We don't ban automobiles because of the number of of children between the ages of 5 and 11 are hit by cars. This CDC has been politicized. It is out of control. Fauci's politicized. He's out of control. Joe Biden is not the president of the country. There's some invisible, shadowy team of, of oligarchs, hardcore Marxist leftists trying to impose their will. And I'm going to tell you something, and I really believe this. They are using this to try and expand the power of government. They're using this to take a statute uh, under OSHA in a way that is perverse, that twists it into a pretzel, so they can do it to other aspects of our society, other aspects of your life, through other bureaucracies. This is a test case. That's exactly what it is. A test case. Now, they have lawyers. They have good lawyers. Those lawyers have to be telling them that this isn't constitutional, that this isn't legal. The Attorney General of the United States is politically corrupt. He's an ideologue. So he's not going to put his foot down, and so are all the senior people of the Department of Justice. We've seen this. We know this, as a matter of fact. Ask the parents. 
in Loudoun County and other places across the country. But this is absurd. Any White House counsel, any OMB general counsel, any office of legal counsel at the Department of Justice would all know that the federal government does not have plenary police powers, as I discussed, as Senator Lee discussed, as Governor DeSantis has discussed. This is a fundamental aspect, a core aspect of our society, of how we've divided up powers. And that's why this has never been done before, ever, ever. There's no Supreme Court decision that supports this, despite those slip-and-fall lawyers who pretend there is. Despite those slip-and-fall lawyers who lie about precedent. But if this, if this holds up, you're going to have all kinds of new precedent. And here's the problem. This country is not moving in the direction of liberty. This country is constantly moving in the direction of tyranny and totalitarianism. Your individual liberties are under attack. Now you might say, oh, come on, it's a vaccine. I am telling you, it's true. Whether it's in the classroom, whether it's school boards, whether it's the border, whether it's your health decisions, whether it is hiring 85,000 IRS auditors to harass you for the rest of your life if you dare, dare to spend $600. It's appalling what's going on. And this is the Democrat Party. These are the American Marxists. And if you disagree with them, Look at what the media do to you. Look what the media call you. You're racists. You're Neanderthals. You're this or you're that. That's the American media. A group of stupid, low IQ, inexperienced, wealthy slobs. That's right, I said it. It's shocking. They're for big government all the time and any time. They're for every and any Democrat, all the time and any time. They back every one of these Marxist movements. Climate change. Oh, wow, what a phrase. What a nomenclature. It's a degrowth attack capitalism movement. Comes out of Europe, 1970s, Marxist movement. Oh, oh, critical race theory doesn't even exist. But if it does exist, you white people really don't want to talk because you don't want to teach about racism. It's not just white people that have a problem with this. This isn't a matter of teaching about racism and slavery in American history. We all know what it means. They either don't know what it means or they do know what it means, but they're pathological liars. In the American media, what a joke. What a joke. They would be perfectly comfortable in a communist regime, except for the fact that they wouldn't be living high off the hog as they do in Washington, D.C., as they do in New York, as they do in L.A., the three centers of the American media. The three centers of the American media, corrupt, corrupt through and through. And these corporatists that run it, whether it's AT&T, whether it's Comcast, whatever the hell it is, disgusting, these frauds, like Jeff Motherzucker, and then Big Tech that throws their weight in. Big Tech, that clown Zuckerberg. And the other dithering idiot with the beard. What the hell is his name? I don't know. I don't know. The guy with cockroaches in his beard. Do you remember his name, Mr. Producer? Twitter? What is this fool? That doesn't matter. Who cares? Dorsey.
Dorky, that's right. Dorky. No, we got to mandate this because it's for the health of the American people. And they have us now at each other's throats. If you're not vaccinated, you're a killer. You out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? Folks, if you're concerned about the virus, or if you have conditions, heart disease or other issues, as I do, then get vaccinated. Take care of yourself. If that's what you want to do, then do it. And if you're vaccinated, they tell you the vaccines work, right? Now, either they work or they don't work. Now, if you want people vaccinated, you're mandating it. You're going to put businesses out of business if they don't impose it. Then that damn thing better work. And if it works, who cares if the guy next to you is vaccinated or not? Why does it matter? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Congratulations to you, patriotic Americans all across the country. Look what's going on in New Jersey. Nobody expected that. Virginia, New York, Pennsylvania, Texas, Colorado, Seattle, Minneapolis. Patriotic Americans who have one thing in common, their love for this country. Who want to take their country back. I've been listening to a lot of the 2020 analysis on TV and radio. They get some of it. They don't get all of it. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, I do things a little differently here behind this microphone. I don't wait for events to occur and then comment on them. Certainly I comment on them. But as I've said all along, I'm an activist. I'm an activist. You'll notice nowhere through this entire this entire revolution against the counter-revolution will you find the Republican establishment, the Mitch McConnells, and their ilk. You didn't find them during the rise of the Tea Party. You didn't find them during the rise of the Reagan Revolution or the Trump Revolution. We need to keep an eye on these people because what they will try to do is hijack this movement. Define this movement. Create their own narrative. And then try to control it. And if they can't control it, they'll try to destroy it. This is what they tried to do with the Tea Party. And the Trump Revolution. I'm telling you the pure facts. What happened here was a revolt by the American people against these American Marxist movements. Critical race theory. The degrowth, climate change, war on capitalism, the attack on representative government. They don't get it at CNN or MSNBC. They don't get it in most places, quite frankly. Even many of our friends don't quite get it. The fact of the matter is, 2020 hindsight after the fact analysis is important. 
But that's not activism. How many times did we say here over the course of the last eight months, we must build and we will build a movement, a movement against these Marxist movements, against critical race theory, against the transgender movement, against no-growth, anti-capitalist, Green New Deal. How many times did we say we were doing this under the radar? That they didn't even realize what you, millions of you, what we were doing together. We enlisted the examples of Thomas Paine in his pamphlet, The American Crisis, using American Marxism, which now is on its way to 1.2 million copies in your hands. And you, the Paul Revere's and the Paulette Revere's, Yes, it was no coincidence liberty and tyranny and the Tea Party came out simultaneously any more than it's coincidental that American Marxism and this new movement have come together simultaneously. I noticed last night, friend and foe alike kept lying about the impact of President Donald Trump. They can't stop talking about Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump won last night, too. All throughout the state of Virginia, the Democrats were campaigning against Donald Trump. And they lost. Donald Trump won. Youngkin won. 55% of the Hispanics in Virginia voted for Youngkin and the Republicans. 55%. And yet on CNN, MSNBC, and elsewhere, they're trying now to pin racism, dog whistles, their usual propaganda on Yunkin, a man of great faith. You'll recall, and again, just a reminder of what actually happened and what's going to continue to happen. Throughout villages, towns, states, counties, across America. Americans saw the rise of American Marxism. And they didn't like it one damn bit. And as I wrote, American Marxism has made great progress toward instituting its goals over the last several years. And that includes critical race theory. If it is to be defeated as it must, albeit a daunting and complex mission. Its existence must first be acknowledged and labeled for what it is. The urgency of the moment must be realized, and the emergence of, and this is the key, a unified, patriotic front of previously docile, divergent, and or disputatious, that is, disputing, societal, cultural, and political factions and forces, which have in common their belief that America is worth defending, must immediately galvanize around and rally to the cause. We must rise to the challenge, as did our founding fathers when they confronted the most powerful force on earth, the British Empire, and defeated it. And admittedly, in numerous ways, today's threat is more Byzantine, as it now inhabits most of our institutions and menaces from within, making engagement difficult and complicated. But I fervently believe America as we know it will be forever lost if we do not prevail. Last night we prevailed. 
It's only one battle of many to come. The battle for the culture goes on. The opposition must be defeated. It must be crushed. You and I witnessed what took place in November across the country. You and I witnessed how Democrat lawyers changed the voting systems in state after state after state. You and I witnessed how counting continued well after Election Day. You and I witnessed how boards of elections, governors, secretaries of states, state Supreme Courts and other courts interfered with the election to assist Biden and the Democrats. We saw it. You and I saw what they did to Donald Trump with Russia collusion, the coup efforts, the impeachment efforts, and all the rest. We saw all this. And we galvanized. And we rallied against American Marxism. This is lost on most hosts on cable TV who live in bubbles and are too preoccupied with their own egos. They're not activists. They're not activists. They're commentators. I'm both. April 7, 2021. Cut one, go. So I just want you to know that I am, in fact, not just a Pollyanna, get behind the microphone, talk a few hours, two or three, and then run off to some local cafe. I don't do that. I never will do that. Some of us fight these, these uh, issues, this agenda, this tyranny in different ways. We all have our roles, right? And I've been blessed with this role, the ability to speak behind a microphone in front of a TV camera and to write. That's what I do. Ideas do have consequences, as you can see all around you. Ideas have consequences. Now is not the time to be silent. Now is not the time to be passive. Now is not the time to be an observer in your own role, in your own life. Talk to the people in your community. Talk to the people in your neighborhood, your church, your synagogue, your mosque. Talk to the people you come in touch with. You can be the modern-day Thomas Paine in your role. And affect very many people more than you think. Alert them to what's taking place. Don't be afraid to be called names or to be characterized. People who do that are the enemy. The enemy who wants to to silence you. And if you get effective enough, and you're targeted even more, take pride in what you're doing. When I'm attacked by a newspaper or some media outlet, I attack back. But I always smile. Because if they didn't fear me, they wouldn't attack me. Find what's going on. Find what the hell's going on in your classrooms, in your school district. You pay for those damn schools. You pay the teachers. You pay the administration. You pay for the textbooks. Find out what's going on in your schools. Whether you have children in those schools or not. Attend the board meetings. Demand that you want to see what the curricula is. All of it. You want to know what those kids are being taught in your community. The next generation. Demand it. April 7th, April 21, cut to go. I have been working very, very hard over the course of a long period of time, but especially now, on what I consider my most important book ever, ever, given what's going on in this country. I can't give you the title. I can't get into it yet, but hopefully in a week or two. 
and it should be finally completed by this summer. It is the most important book I've ever written. It's the longest book I've ever written. And, you know, you and I together, many of you, we helped launch the Tea Party movement. I don't take credit for anything, but it was very, very important. And in part, that was done as a result of liberty and tyranny. But it was simultaneous. I'm hoping we can do something similar here, because we're going to need to. We need to save our country. Our country's under attack from forces mostly within. And we better get this resolved or we're going to lose this country. We're going to lose our children in these classrooms, these indoctrination mills. They've already taken over our colleges and universities. They've already taken over our newsrooms. We need to get our act together. We need to have something to rally around. We need to have some ideas about what we're going to do about this. So this is the most important book I've ever written, ever. And I'm also hoping that kids that are going to go off to college Read it. You can get it at a library. You don't have to buy it. It's not on Amazon yet. I'm pulling, I've held it back. But I'm hoping all of you read it because you need to be the Thomas Paines and the Paul Revere's. And I'm not kidding. April 26, go. And the goal here is the same goal I had as a young man when I worked hard in Pennsylvania for the Reagan Revolution. The same goal I had when I was elected to my local school board to stop what the local teachers union were doing to our citizens, and we did. The same goal I had, although I had no idea there was a Tea Party and they had no idea that I had written a book, but they came about simultaneously. And you and I, we launched a movement. And Donald Trump, who was a great president, the more you think about his presidency, the more you think about what Joe Biden's doing, a great president. But now we have to defend our country. And more than defend it, we need to go on offense. Let them defend themselves from us. And I'm not talking about violence. Let them defend themselves from us. And so we need to open a multi-front push. A pushback, if you will. May 7, 2021. Go. There's no question whatsoever. Right now, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the uh, corrupt media, the Marxists and pseudo-Marxists, or neo-Marxists, and the others, they're laying in wait. They want to see if by silence, by silence, they they can kill this. They don't want to give it too much attention. But at some point, they and their surrogates, their websites, will unleash and we have, we're in this together, and we're going to have to push back together. They think they can take down some of us, but they're not going to take me down. We are going to push, and we are going to fight. This book is not written for them. This book is written for you. This book is written for your college students and your high school students, should you be a parent or a grandparent. This book is written for your colleagues and your friends and your family members. This book is written to get the message out, to inspire, to invigorate, to build another movement. 
I've been part of many activist movements, and I told Sean at the beginning of the show, I'm an activist. That's what I am. Building another movement. You have built another movement. We have an army of millions. And you showed up yesterday, and you actually showed up before yesterday in early voting. All across this country, in Virginia, in New Jersey, where the battle goes on, in New York, Pennsylvania, where every circuit court election was won by a Republican, Texas, Colorado, so many states, school boards flipped, mayor's races, sheriff's races. The movement is here and now. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I want to salute you. You folks are unbelievable. You are tremendous patriots. You, your family, and your friends. God bless you, and I'll see you tomorrow.